Hey there, everybody. You are listening to This Show is So Gay. I'm your host, Ken Schneck. This is episode number 423. As always, you can get in touch with us by dropping us a line. Send an email on over to ken at thisshowissogay.com. Stroll on over to thisshowissogay.com to learn all about the fun things happening with our little gay radio show that could... You can follow us on Twitter. The handle is This Show Is So Gay. And of course, go on over to that Facebook. Type in This Show Is So Gay. Like us, because we sure as heck like you. We have a fantastic episode for you this week. Let's get started with our guests. In just a few weeks, Penny Lane Centers will be hosting their annual Edgy Conference in Los Angeles, California. Let me break that down for you. Penny Lane Centers, if you don't know, is an organization that has as its mission to foster hopes and dreams by empowering children, youth, and families to reach their highest potential. They were the first agency in L.A. County to offer foster and adoption services to LGBTQ families and also one of the first agencies to offer LGBTQ youth the services they need. And the Edgy Conference is all about embracing the diversity of GLBTQ youth and families. Here to talk all about Penny Lane Centers and the Edgy Conference is Wendy Carpenter, the Associate Executive Director of Penny Lane Centers, and Cameron Glasgow, the Director of Training and Development of Edgy Conference and Penny Lane Centers. To you both, welcome to This Show is So Gay. Thank you, Ken. We are thrilled to be here. I am thrilled to have you both. We have so much ground to cover. We always like to start with the personal aspects so we can get to know you both. We'll start with you, Wendy. Wendy, tell our listening audience, what brings you to this type of work? Well, Ken, you know, I was uh, very fortunate to have an upbringing where I had two parents that really loved and adored me. And, And I am a firm believer that all it takes is one adult to really champion you and to really care about you that makes all the difference in a kid's life. So having said that, you know, I did not always have a smooth upbringing, and I certainly knew what it felt like to uh, be completely alone in the world. I I knew what it felt like to um, not find my place right away in the world and find my identity. And so I was really drawn to, to the field of just being here for kids and more importantly, being a voice for kids that are often in the foster care system, very marginalized, very, very trivialized, and they feel invisible. And so I really wanted to, to lend my voice to, to help kids. And so came to Penny Lane Centers um, as a young, young, young lady at the age of 22 and, and have been here for the last 27 years. I was going to say at the age of 22, that was like two years ago, but you're saying it's more than that. Well, I, I'm glad this is a podcast and you can't see me uh, because you could quickly do the math and know uh, that, that my, my math is accurate. <laughs> and how about you, Cameron? What, what brings you to this work? My gosh, you guys love your jobs. I'm already getting that sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, I, for me, what it was was um, a sense of giving back. When I, uh, I had come from the for-profit world um, for many years, and when I got the opportunity to come and work with Penny Lane Centers, originally as the business development um, manager, I came in here to sort of look at ways that I've, I've taken some of my past experiences working with the you know, property management, construction, and whatnot, and bringing it into Penny Lane Centers to help build up some of Penny Lane Centers' um, affordable housing projects there they're working on. And um, within that whole realm, I was able to give back to ways that I never thought I ever could, to be involved with um, mentoring you, to get involved, to working with a lot of different um, aspects in terms of um, giving back 
my own personal um, desires to A, help the LGBT community, and B, also to just help out any youth and families that are in need. So, um, you know, it's just, a, it's just been something that for me, I unfortunately have only gotten to work with Penny Lane Centers for the last seven years, but um, it's been some of the best seven years of my life. I love it. I love it. Now, Wendy, it's a, we're a national radio show. People hear this across the country. What should we know about Penny Lane Centers? Because we're not all there in Los Angeles. What ideas from the Penny Lane Centers should we all be stealing? Well, I think that, uh, you know, Penny Lane is a product of the 60s. And, you know, if, if you go back in history in the 60s, it was a time where society, the United States, really came together and was there to kind of hold each other. And I think that that has kind of been one of our, our biggest values throughout the last almost nearly 50 years, is that we are here to hold, to care for, to fight for any kinds of kids or families that are going through some of the biggest crises of their lives. You know, we're, we're lucky at, at, in Los Angeles, we're, we're lucky at Penny Lane that we can really take a family or a child at any point in their life when they're struggling. You know, for example, we do have uh, uh, foster homes. So if uh, a child temporarily needs to be in a loving home until they can return home to their, uh, their biological family, we can do that. We can do adoptions uh, if that is what is best for the child. We also have about 100 kids that live with us in residential treatment, which is up to about three months, where we can really help that child and that family through some of the crises so that the kid can return home safely. We uh, do, a, as, as Cameron mentioned, a lot of housing, affordable housing, particularly for former foster youth who are kind of transitioning from that very structured residential care into living independently in their own apartments. And then finally, we've been doing a lot of really good work in the home. So instead of thinking about taking a kid away from a family, we actually are able to leave here in LA County kids with their families, and we send in a team of people to really help support them, and so the kid is not displaced and the family really stays together. Nice. Now, Cameron, I would imagine as, as the director of training, having that in your title, is it possible that not everybody out there is as trained as they should be? Definitely. I mean, that's one of the biggest things I think that we try to really emphasize here, not only at Penny Lane Centers, but throughout the conference at EDGY, is um, education is the key to enlightenment. Um, you know, so when you go out there, we're trying to really give our, not only give our staff, but to give the actual, all the other community members around our agencies, as well as other agencies that are out there, the best training that we could possibly give them to understand how to better work with LGBT youth and families. And, you know, in the sense for Penny Lane Centers, we're trying to train our staff to be, you know, basically um, the caveats of what we're trying to do, what our values are. And our values are community, their collaboration, and their commitment to helping out and serving youth. Nice. We're going to get to the Edgy Conference in a second. Wendy, I have to ask you, I mean, we cover the news every single week on this show. We've been doing it for about 10 years now. And, and all of a sudden, even though we know it's not all of a sudden, but it seems more and more uh, states are passing these legislations that say, no, 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 we need to restrict which parents we're going to allow to adopt, to al allow to be foster parents. I, I would imagine that you guys can't even wrap your minds around it. I can't wrap my mind around it, and I don't even do the work that you do. Yeah, you know, you know it, as I mentioned before, I mean, all it really takes is one loving adult that can be there for a kid to really make the difference between a kid being a statistic or a kid growing up in, in a healthy, uh, healthy way to become a functioning member of society. You know, and, and that's one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm super proud at Penny Lane, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, you know, I'm, I'm a straight person. Uh, but when we started seeing, even in L.A. County, 
where families who, uh, you know, were, were two moms or two dads who were willing to open up their home to take in a kid. And we started to see, uh, you know, different places, different agencies kind of being a little reluctant about that. That really broke our heart. Yeah. And so we really wanted to step forward and say it, it's about loving people. It, it doesn't matter about your, your orientation, your sexual orientation. It matters whether you've got a home where you can open up your heart and be there for a kid. And so we did start, a, a, you know, about 10 years ago, really actively recruiting uh, LGBTQ families. Uh, and I'll tell you, when we are able to do those adoptions, it is what keeps Cameron and I coming to work every single day. It makes such a difference, Ken. Oh, my gosh. Those are lifetime memories. Those are lifetime memories, obviously, for the families, but also, I would imagine, for you two as well. Well, we have to talk about the Edgy Conference. We're, we're in the ninth annual already, Cameron. I know. It's crazy. I cannot believe how time flies by so quick. Talk to us about the history and, and how this all came about. Well, um, you know, back in um, 2009, Penny Lane Centers really wanted to start pushing sort of more of our cultural competency, and um, we felt that we did such a good job internally with training our staff to understand the sensitive LGBT um, topics that affect the LGBT youth and, and um, families that we um, decided to sort of take that good work that we're doing internally and take it to externally to other agencies and to, you know, the, out throughout the, com the community as well. And so in 2009, we formed the Edgy Conference. Um, it started off as, you know, a very small conference there. And, you know, you know, nine years later, we're, you know, at a full capacity at the Skirball Center, you know, where you have over 40 organizations involved here. And, um, you know, it's just sort of what it is. It just shows to our dedication that we have put into, you know, enriching our staff and to also enrich the, the community to better serve LGBT youth. Wendy, what do we want people on just the most basic level to get out of this conference? I think the most important thing is uh, kids are kids. Uh, I think when people come in with some preconceived notion of, uh, you know, th this kid is LGBTQ, so I've got to, you know, be, be extra careful or I've got to worry about liability or what I'm going to do. You know, and, and our message is just talk to the kids. Ask them. If, if it's a transgender kid, ask them what pronoun that they, they prefer. Uh, if we make a mistake, we own that mistake and we learn together with the kids. I think the biggest disservice we can do is, is trying to um, overthink it to a certain degree, but being afraid. Uh, and, uh, you know, look, as Cameron says, when we got into doing this nine years ago, we by no means didn't uh, see ourselves as experts per se, but we knew that our hearts were in the right place, and we knew because of that we were seeing some really good success. And so we wanted to share that with our colleagues. Yeah. Again, listeners, we are here with Wendy Carpenter and Cameron Glasgow. They are both with the Penny Lane Centers. And the Penny Lane Centers are hosting on Friday, October 27th, 2017, the Edgy Conference, Embracing the Diversity of GLBTQ Youth and Families. I don't want to make you too nervous, Cameron, but I'm seeing right there on the schedule that you two are setting the tone right there in the first session. <laughs> well, you know, that's how we have to embrace our own identities there. You know, um, we want to get up there and sort of set the curve for the day there and really, you know, set that message that, you know, this year, each year we, we put a different theme onto the conference and we try to build off those themes. Um, you know, uh, last year it was uh, change starts with you. So sort of taking a look at yourself and sort of seeing how, you know, if you can change yourself and change your beliefs, then you can help others change too. And this year we sort of took it from that, that step there and we moved it to embracing identities. Um, you know, because of so much different um, 
you know, political stuff that's going on a lot, especially with the transgender community, we really want everyone to sort of embrace their own identity and embrace others' identities as well. And so that's sort of real important for Wendy and I to sort of set that tone that for that in the morning to say, you know, let's embrace ourselves. Let's sort of get this day going because this is what it's all about is to educate ourselves and sort of in deep, you know, dive deep inside ourselves and say, what can we really get out of this? I want to push you a little further on that embracing identities piece. I mean, Wendy, you have perhaps seen a few more years in the organization than Cameron has, certainly than I have. I'm just putting that out there. Uh, what does it mean to have a theme of embracing identities? Because I would almost guarantee that was not the theme of the first conference. That's so true. I'll tell you, one of the most exciting things about uh, this year in particular is that we're having a lot of our own youth come to the conference. Nice. And so these are youth who have not only beat the odds of uh, being displaced in foster care, who have suffered through uh, years of physical and sexual abuse, but then to also come out and say, you know, I'm an LGBT or Q, and to be able to uh, stand there in front of an audience of 500 people and look them dead in the eye and say, you're the ones that allowed me to do this. You have saved my life. Uh, I don't think that there is anything more powerful in our field than to see someone stand up there that have been in the pits of fire and yet are standing there and saying, here I am. And as Cameron says, that, that is what brings us back year after year in doing those things. Yeah. Cameron, anybody who has ever planned a day of anything knows that it's really difficult to put together a schedule because you're going to have people with such different competencies coming in, right? And so we want it to be aspirational for for everybody, uh, but we also, I guess, in some ways want to meet people where they are. How do you go about putting together a schedule that uh, that accommodates for so many different types of people who are coming? It's a great question. Um, you know, what we, we, we're lucky enough here that at Penny Lane Center is that we, we have a wonderful task force that comes from all different um, fields and expertise um, to work with LGBT youth and families. So we sort of take upon all their experiences, all their knowledge about different uh, presenters and topics that we want to address for the conference, and we sort of discuss amongst ourselves. In addition to that, we really, you know, a couple years back, we decided to make tracks. Because obviously, you know, like we said, we started the conference back nine years ago, and it was just, you know, to really educate others about what, you know, some sensitive topics in the LGBT community are. But as you grow, you know, like you said, we really have to sort of expand upon what we're doing and how we're going to expand upon that is by creating tracks. So we have tracks in the conference. So when we have an opening, you know, like a a session for all the uh, audience members there, we also have the the workshop tracks that sort of go into, if you're like a school teacher, a probation officer, a police officer, a parent, um, a therapist, a social worker. So there's a lot. It's whatever your profession might be, there's going to be a track that's going to talk about that and sort of help you get those tools and those takeaways. They're going to help you take it back to your agency and sort of work with the youth that you're serving. Wendy, in some ways I'm a great college professor, but in one way I'm really not, and that would be assessment. At the end of the day, when the conference is over, I know we want to get to the conference and we're going to have an amazing day and it's going to be wonderful, but then at some point during that day, uh, at one point during that day, 5 o'clock is going to roll around and we're going to have to all sit down and figure out, all right, were we successful? How do you go about assessing the efficacy of the event? You know, I, I think that if we can change one person's mind in there, Somebody that came in as a skeptic, uh, you know, and I'll, and I'll share a, a personal Penny Lane story. Uh, when we started, uh, you know, really advocating to expand our services to specialize with LGBTQ, we, we brought this to our board of directors. And 
as you can imagine, with an agency that's been around as long as we have, we got a few people in there with some gray hair. And they were a little concerned about how this would be received. Uh, they were pretty conservative. And uh, one gentleman in particular was a little outspoken about, you know, are, are we veering too much from our mission and how we started? Is this mainstream enough? And I will tell you, he came to, uh, I think it was our second or third annual EDGY conference. And by the end of the day, he was in tears. And he was in tears because he had felt that he had landed on the wrong side of the issue for all of these years gone by. Wow. And he walked out of there uh, really realizing that his new mission in life was to go out and speak on behalf of LGBTQ. And so this man, who is well into his 70s, uh, really goes door to door for us and, and talks to some of his peers about what it means to be accepting what it means to be affirming, and how that very thing can really change people's lives. For me, that's the most successful thing. That's incredible. I love that story. That's a good one. That's a good one. Now, Cameron, so many sessions, and, and we can't go through all the sessions, but what in particular are you excited about? Well, I'm real excited to have Sassafras Lowry. Um, she's coming from New York. Um, she, we're really trying to engage uh, that younger millennial base there to sort of get because let them. They're, they're very activists, but we want to sort of give them the right tools there. So she's coming in from the standpoint of being a homeless youth herself, um, running a homeless shelter, and also being an author that goes and speaks in so many different varieties of sub subjects matters. So she's really going to talk about homelessness and LGBT youth homelessness and sort of how what their story is, hearing it from their side of it. You know, we sort of hear it from so many different perspectives, but talking about someone who came from that perspective, who got herself out off the streets there, and now is out there helping back and giving back to her community. So I'm real excited for her to come out there. She's just got a, a wonderful personality to her, too. So I think she's really going to um, change a lot of people's perspectives on certain things there and sort of, um, you know, sort of flip the script a little bit. So she's something that stands out there for me. Um, in addition to that, uh, we have a wonderful panel. It's um, run by a rabbi, and um, she's going to come up here and bring different stories. And then people are going to share about their stories. And a lot of these people have come from the Middle East, and so they were escaped not only a very difficult political regime as well as a religious regime, but their stories of success and how they triumphed and to come to where they're at today. It's just going to be, I think, just you know, not going to be a, a, a dry eye in the room. So, um, you know, I think those are two things that will stand out for me. And I never say this on the air because I don't usually announce upcoming guests, but you guys inspired me so much that earlier today I reached out to Sassafras, and she will be on the show in just a few weeks. Oh, no way! You guys, look how you're changing my life, and I'm all the way over here in Cleveland. So we could already say, yes, this conference has been successful. It's a good thing. Now, now, Wendy, do you get to attend sessions, or are you one of those people who's just going to be running around all day? Oh, no, I will definitely be in the sessions. Uh, and let me tell you, every, every year I go and, and make sure that uh, I am learning something. You know, one of the things that uh, really makes me excited, we, we have one, uh, I think, kind of a, a practical uh, workshop that's going to be on just advocacy. Yeah. And it's, you know, what can you as one person, you know, as I mentioned our board member, what can you do as one person when you leave the conference? How can you put out the welcome mat? no matter where you go, about, about welcoming particularly transgenders, uh, you know, in your workplace, uh, you know, at school, how can you make people feel accepting and, and, and warm and welcome? That one really makes me excited, and I will definitely be in that one as well. I think the other one, too, uh, we're going to be doing uh, on one of our clinical tracks, 
uh, a lot about safety training uh, and, and treatment. And, you know, unfortunately, we do see a lot with our LGBTQ youth, uh, particularly when they go to school, and, and, I, and I particularly point out the, the transgenders. Uh, and, and many of our transgenders, you know, choose to, to dress in the uh, gender that they most identify with. Uh, and so many times there can be bullying, which the school doesn't necessarily know how to respond to. Uh, this particular workshop is going to give some real practical and good advice for uh, therapists, for county social workers, for probation officers, so that they can walk into that principal's office and say this is what needs to happen and it needs to happen in this minute and needs to happen today. Oh, we want that. We want that. Cameron, one of my favorite pieces of events like this is that they are distinctly intergenerational. And, and it strikes me, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong, this will be distinctly intergenerational. 100%. I mean, I think that's the one thing that's amazing about this audience there. You get people that are like from one spectrum of the, of the advocacy where they're very much out there. They know all every, the best ways and modalities to, to work with LGBT youth. But then there's someone who comes off there like a parent who's just you know, experiencing what their child's going through, and they're trying to help their child out in this situation. And you get to such this different levels of education and enlightenment, but you see people connect on such different levels that it's it's just I don't know. I feel it brings in a, a, a whole spectrum of people that they didn't really they wouldn't have otherwise been there at that day to to learn and to understand the LGBT community in a better way. Yeah. Now here's the problem, Wendy, because we got to highlight a problem. Otherwise, we're not doing what we should be doing. This is one event on Friday, October 27th, 2017, happening in LA. What does the rest of the country need to know about this? What should we be doing that we're not doing that you guys will be doing this one day in this one place? It's interesting. This, you know, and Penny Lane. The EDGY conference all started in very grassroots efforts. Yeah. You know, it was a few people in a room saying we need to do something. Uh, you know, we, we don't have a magic wand here in L.A. EDGY's not a magic wand. But anybody anywhere can get a group of people together. They can get a, a, a space, invite people to come in, and have a dialogue. I think we are missing that so much right now in, in our communities and in society. It's just looking each other in the eye, coming together, and... And, and, and sharing an agenda about how we can change the world. It, it, it doesn't need to be 100 people. It can be five or six people that come together and say, this is what we can do today. I know this work is not without its stressors, but I, but I also know for sure that, that it feeds both of your souls. Let's get a little feedback on that. Cameron, tell our listening audience, why do all this? It, right, it can be such fraught work, but, but how does this feed you? Well, you know, um, I, being, being a gay man myself, I think it directly feeds my heart. You know, there's nothing more painful for me to see than seeing someone going through some of the coming out process and not having the support there. I was so lucky to have a loving parents and having um, great friends that helped me through the process there. But I know that if I didn't have that support system there for me, that I would have been suicidal, I could have gone into, you know, drug use or any of these sort of horrible things that sort of a lot of youth that don't have the support go into. Um, and so it directly feeds my soul because I want to give back to my community that's given me so much, given me the legs to stand on and say, this is who I am, this is, this is what I want to be. And um, 
by having that and being able to give that inspiration to other youth, um, especially the, the youth ambassadors that come there that are strong enough to take some of the knowledge they get from the day there and take it back to their high schools and to their um, QSAs and GSAs and say, you know, this is what I learned today at Edgy and, you know, this is how I want to get support from not only my, my fellow um, LGBT students here, but the, my, my advocates, the straight allies, um, my teachers, the school board administration. It's just, it's just something I feel that in the long run, if we all educate people on some of these subjects, it won't become an issue. It will be just become something that just, it's just another thing like the color of your, of your eyes or the color of your hair or what you want to wear that day. It's, just, it's not going to be an issue that's going to affect people in the, the negative way it does today in today's society. Wendy, I had a job where I made it to six years once, and I was pretty darn proud of that. 22 years is a lot more than six. I would imagine with 22 years, you're pretty devoted to this, but how does it feed your soul? You know, I'll tell you, the, the most exciting thing that's been happening for us in L.A. is, is, is really the housing. You know, we, like many places and, and uh, urban areas in the country, are just seeing just an overwhelming amount of people that are that are living on the streets and, and don't have a, a warm bed to get into at night, and, and even more so for the LGBTQ population, because even in L.A., there is still, from time to time, discrimination. We just had a, a two-mom family who uh, were living in a car with their three kids for over a year and couldn't find housing anywhere. Uh, no one would rent to them. And, uh, you know, this, this is a family that no matter how hard things got, boy, those moms were there for those kids every single day. And even nights when they went hungry, those kids had food in their bellies. And those kids made it to school. They had clean clothes. Uh, we're doing everything right. The day we gave them keys to an apartment was something I carry with me um, every day. And when things get tough and I feel like I want to move to Hawaii and not think about anything, I remember those two moms and what it meant for them to be able to let their kids pick what bedroom they wanted to be in that night. Uh, that feeds my soul every day. <sighs> Man, that just fed my soul even hearing that answer. I don't know that I can make it 22 years, but we're going to get there, Wendy. We're going to get there. Cameron. You can do it, Ken. Yeah, yes. Let me shoot for seven, and then we'll see. We'll take it from there. Cameron, what do our listeners need to know about ways that they can be supportive of the great work that you guys are doing? Well, you know, our big goal is we want to take this, what we're doing here in Los Angeles, and we want to take this nationally. Yes. Um, so if they're out there listening out there and they want to know how they can be involved, they can reach out to us. Um, they can even donate to um, Penny Lane Centers. They can donate to the Edgy Conference. They can get involved by, you know, passing, um, you know, by uh, even by even attending attending the conference. But the biggest thing is for them to get up, to get out there and sort of reach out to us. We have ways that we can volunteer. We do great events here at Penny Lane Centers um, to help out the community here. But um, ultimately, you know, I just want them to know that there's a way that we can get out there. We can reach them if they need to, some resources to help them better serve any kind of LGBT youth. We're here to help, and that's what we're trying to do here to educate others and sort of give them the tools and resources they need. Now, at the time of this recording, we're still a few weeks out from the Edgy Conference. Are we there, Wendy? Are we ready to go? Like, everything's in place. Well, if you ask me, I, I feel 100%. Now, Cameron still <laughs> every day worries, and that's why it will be such a successful event, is because he thinks of every single detail. Uh, but we still have some tickets available. Uh, we have about, oh, close to... 
about, see about we're, we have capacity for about 500. I think we got about, you know, about 100 tickets we could still uh, put out there. So I really encourage everyone. And, and it, there's a great edgy website. So if people aren't able to make it actually here to LA, they can certainly go to the edgy website and get, as Cameron mentioned, the resources and also see clips from the different workshops. Now, Cameron, this is probably the most inappropriate question I can ask you before the ninth annual Edgy Conference, but you know that next year is going to be the 10th. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Gosh. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, you know, there, um, some big shoes to fill there. Um, but I think that's the thing. That, that's what we do. We're, we're so excited. We can't believe it's been almost 10 years. And, um, you know, the thing that, you know, Wendy and I have been doing this for so long and how, what we want to give back after 10 years is, is going to be something that, you know, Looking at that element of change and what we've done in the last 10 years of change, that's what's so important to me. What I heard you say is that I'm keynoting the 10th. I'm not sure what you actually said, but we'll take that for another day. <laughs> Listeners, this is what we need you to go do. You can stroll on over to pennylane.org. That's pennylane.org. And you can learn all about Penny Lane Centers. It's an amazing organization. Again, their mission to foster hopes and dreams by empowering children, youth, and families to reach their highest potential. And in just a very short amount of time, they will be hosting the Edgy Conference. And you can learn more about the Edgy Conference by going to edgyconference.com. That's E-D-G-Y conference.com. And you can donate. You can certainly buy a ticket. You can become a sponsor. You can watch a pretty cool video about the great things that they're doing. And I love the idea that we are embracing identities because I know that has been an evolution and to see that for the rest of us to see oh my gosh we are at that point where this can be the theme of a conference is so inspiring you two are doing incredible work I, I do have the sense Wendy that there are more than just the two of you working on all this oh that that is for sure I mean it it, it really does take uh, everybody and again uh, we're very lucky to have a board to have staff, uh, and most importantly, to have kids and families that are right there with us every single day. Again, listeners, pennylane.org and edgyconference.com. Wendy, Cameron, I, I, you got to sleep before this happens. You guys are starting things off. You are going to set an amazing tone. It will be an unforgettable day. And I, I just love reading this. I love reading through the schedule. I love the idea of us piloting this out in so many different cities because we could all use this. I want you guys to come to Cleveland, and we're going to all do this together. But in the, in the meantime, before we set up the Cleveland branch of the Edgy Conference. You guys are going to have an amazing day, and, and I hope you know, and I get a sense that you do, just how important and how appreciative we all are of the efforts you guys are putting forth. Thank you so much, Ken. It's such a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you, Ken. We look forward to having you be our keynote at, at the <laughs> Edgy Cleveland. We're looking forward to it. That was just said, listeners, and I want it noted. This is how it's always been sun comes up the day begins people come and then they go i've been around long enough to know if you have a single seed that's enough that's all you need and if you're lost in the night keep the river on your right
folks and we are back well we still have tons of time left on this week's episode so let's get to all the latest lgbtq news that's out there as we covered on last week's show president trump became the first sitting u.s president yes my friends that would be the first sitting u.s president to speak at the values voters summit the values voters summit sponsored by the family research council the Family Research Council, officially classified as a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. And President Trump, my president, your president, you can't say he's not. He is. He is the president of the United States, the first sitting president to speak in front of all of these folks. His comments were all coded. They were all, oh, we're going to not let any more attacks on our Judeo-Christian values. So coded, so anti-gay, and indeed, apparently in the goodie bags that everybody received as part of the conference, there was completely anti-gay literature being passed out. So you're sitting there in the audience at the Values Voters Summit, and you have anti-gay literature in your hands, and right in front of you, that would be the President of the United States. But, lest you think that that would be his only appearance at such an event, oh no. Oh no, my friends. Donald Trump is set to address a second anti-LGBT summit. Again, after he spoke last week, there's going to be more that he is going to do. This week, he will be speaking at the Anti-LGBT Heritage Foundation. They confirmed that Donald Trump will be speaking to Heritage members at our second President's Club meeting this week. So he has spoken there. The group said this, quote, Heritage has been instrumental in providing the Trump administration with sound policy advice and experts who now serve in key government positions. We are honored to have the President of the United States as our keynote speaker. The group then cited a report that states this, quote, No group is more responsible for helping to craft Trump's agenda than the Heritage Foundation. Today, the group's fingerprints are on virtually every policy Trump advocates. And so let's talk about the Heritage Foundation, where President Trump will be speaking. The Heritage Foundation is an aggressive opponent of LGBT equality. They have lobbied strongly against protections for LGBT workers and equal marriage. The group's website says this, quote, Same-sex marriage makes marriage primarily about adult desire, with marriage understood primarily as an intense emotional relationship between or among consenting adults. This revision comes with significant social costs. Redefining marriage will only lead to more broken homes, more broken hearts, and more intrusive government. Americans should reject such revisionism and work to restore the essentials that make marriage so important for societal welfare, sexual complementarity, monogamy, exclusivity, and permanency. But those are not the only anti-gay views that they espouse. They've also pushed the First Amendment Defense Act, a law that would grant religious people an unlimited license to discriminate based on sexual orientation or gender identity. 
The foundation claims this, quote, the First Amendment Defense Act protects the rights of individuals and the associations they form, small businesses and charities, schools and social services, to speak and act in accordance with their belief that marriage is the union of a man and a woman in the public square and the marketplace. Again, anti-LGBT views, which they've always had, right? Like, this isn't a big revelation. Hey, that Heritage Foundation, they have anti-LGBT views. No. Hey, that Family Research Council, they have anti-LGBT views. No. I mean, yes to both of those, but this is not news. No, this is not news. What is news is that Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, is speaking before these groups. It is a total and complete slap in the face to the LGBT community, who he courted, right? During that whole process of trying to get elected president, which he was successful at, he held that rainbow flag and he held it right upside down in front of everybody. And he said, there is no greater friend to the LGBT community than Donald Trump. He said, Hillary, no, she is not as great of a friend to the LGBT community. Look, I'm holding this rainbow flag and I'm holding it upside down. And yet he appoints anti-gay people. He speaks to virulently anti-gay people. And again, he endorsed Roy Moore, right there in Alabama, and we'll talk about Roy in a few minutes. So, yeah, not a good feeling. Not a good feeling to have the president of your country speaking and effectively endorsing all of these anti-gay views. Now, let's talk about a local story. This has been happening in Cleveland all week, and it has made national news. And I have to tell you, uh, where I'm sitting right now, this all went down. I could walk there in 15 minutes. In a car, I could be there in about a minute and a half. So this is right in my backyard. Fascists have posted flyers at Cleveland State University encouraging LGBT students to kill themselves. Now, everybody here in Cleveland is talking about this. I don't know how many of you all have heard, you know, what's going on out there. But these posters, they have the phrase, follow your fellow, and then the derogatory F word that I refuse to say that describes gay people. And those words are above a picture of a person with a rainbow heart being hanged and suicide statistics for LGBT people. These are posters that are encouraging gay people to kill themselves. Well, obviously, the only possible outcome of this story would be everyone there at Cleveland State University immediately denouncing these. But no, that has not been the response. The president of Cleveland State University has defended these posters. He has defended these posters on the grounds of free speech. These posters went up in a main classroom building at the university on the same day that the institution opened an LGBT center. Can I review that for you? Cleveland State University just opened for the first time an LGBT center, and as soon as they opened one, these horrible, horrible posters went up. They were designed by a group called Fascist Solutions, and they list a host of troubling statistics about how commonly LGBT people attempt or consider suicides. They say things like this, 34% of trans people attempted suicide, over 40% of bisexual people considered suicide. And the posters were, of course, condemned by local activists. Eric Eady of the LGBT Center of Greater Cleveland told Newsnet 5, right here in Cleveland, the coercion of someone attempting to take their own life, there is no humor in that. There will never be humor in that. There is nothing funny about death. But here's the kicker, folks. President Ronald Berkman, 
the president of Cleveland State University, refused to condemn the posters in his initial response. He said that his Institute of Higher Education's, quote, foremost priority is maintaining a welcoming environment that provides opportunities for learning, expression, and discourse. Cleveland State University also is committed to upholding the First Amendment, even with regard to controversial issues where opinion is divided. We will continue to protect free speech to ensure all voices may be heard and to promote a civil discourse where educational growth is the desired result. He continued this quote, Cleveland State University remains fully committed to a campus community that respects all individuals, regardless of age, race, color, religion, national origin, sexual orientation, and other historical bases for discrimination. Despite this claim, though, everybody, President Berkman did not condemn these flyers. Now, that was in his first response. Since then, he issued a second response this week, and he said, I'm not even joking. He basically said, oh, by the way, I did mean to say yesterday in my statement that uh, these were horrible, horrible posters. But, and he, re he really wrote this. He put, however, we do maintain the First Amendment rights here on campus. And so those fascists have the right to hang those posters. Now, a lot of people are comparing President Berkman's response to President Trump's response, that equivocating that he did after the Charlottesville disaster there, where President Trump said, quote, we condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides, on many sides. Well, shock of shockers, everybody is pretty darn upset here in Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland State University today had an open forum, and I was told it was just a complete mess. I did not go. They didn't close it to outside people, which, again, to remind you all, I do have a day job. I'm a professor of leadership in higher education. This is actually what I do, folks. Talking about things like this is actually what I do. I, if I were the president, I certainly wouldn't have written those statements that he put out there. But what I would have done would have closed off the forum that they had for people to comment on this. I would have said, you know what, for this first forum, we're just going to make this for members of Cleveland State University. So they did not do that. And many of my friends went and they said it was just a complete mess. There were canned responses and they just were not listening to people. So this is going to go on and on. And I have to remind you all that this still happens. Cleveland is a major metropolitan city. Cleveland is a pretty liberal city. I know Ohio is not uh, the most liberal state out there. It is a state that went for Trump, but Cleveland is an amazing place to live. And I hate the fact that this is a story that is out there about Cleveland right now, because it does not characterize this city. But this was a crap response on the part of Cleveland State University. Now, I will tell you that the president did put out there, and I encourage everybody to write to him. You can reach him at hi.president.berkman, that's B-E-R-K-M-A-N, hi.president.berkman at csuohio.edu, right? So you can write to him and you can say, as I will do, I will write him an email and say, this is so disappointing. As someone who does this work, as someone who lives in Cleveland, his responses were completely horrible. They were completely horrible. So that's what's happening right here in my backyard in Cleveland, but so many other stories out there. How about some good news? We like doing some good news. The highest court in New York this week got their first openly gay judge. 
After a swearing-in ceremony in Albany, Judge Paul Feynman will take his place on the Court of Appeals. The position was made vacant following the death of Judge Sheila Abdus Salam in April, and Judge Sheila Abdus Salam had been the first African American to be appointed to a seat on the New York Court of Appeals. She was also the first female Muslim judge in the United States. But now Feynman, Judge Feynman, was approved unanimously by the state Senate after he was appointed by Governor Andrew Cuomo. And John Bonachick, who is a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, said this, quote, When we looked at the cases that Judge Feynman decided over the years, one of the things that impressed me the most was that he always reviewed the law in front of him, and to the best of his ability, he always tried to apply the law without any bias or prejudice. He worked his way up from the New York City courts through to the appellate division. His husband was present for his approval by the Senate, as well as the state's chief judge, Janet DeFiore. The appointment was celebrated by LGBT groups in the state. Back in 2012, as Justice of the Manhattan State Supreme Court, Judge Feynman severely criticized the health officials of the city for the complex bureaucratic requirements that trans men and women must negotiate in order to update details on their identity documents, such as passports. He said this at the time, quote, It does not seem very likely that an individual would go through all the years of required preparation for surgical transition, including psychotherapy, undergo major surgery, assume life under his or her new gender and then decide it was all a mistake and change back. This apparent assumption tends to suggest a certain ignorance by the department of the lengthy transition process and the lives and experiences of transgender people. That is Judge Paul Feynman, who became the first openly gay judge on New York's highest court. Very exciting stuff there. On the other side of the spectrum, an openly gay pastor in Cincinnati, right here in Ohio, has been criticized by some in his church for marrying his boyfriend. Reverend David Meredith caused uproar when he married his male partner last year. Some churchgoers called on him to resign from his post following the nuptials. He now faces the possibility of being fired from his job because of his marriage. However, his own congregation has said that they support him. Members of the Clifton United Methodist Church prayed for David and his husband in a show of support at a crucial moment. One community member told a news station, quote, He has shown the love of God to one and all. He has brought people who would never set foot in a church into this community of faith. That's a great thing. I love hearing about that. But of course, there are people who oppose this vehemently. Since marrying his partner last year, who they have been together for 30 years, this pastor has been on the receiving end of complaints coming into the church. According to the church, the first complaint came in the spring of 2016, with the second complaint following in August of 2017. There will now be a hearing held by the church's investigation committee to determine what will happen next. Pastor David said his congregation stands behind him, despite some members of the church wanting to see him kicked out. He said this, quote, The problem that others have is that I will not be quiet, that I will not hide the witness of Christ in this gay man's life and in my loving relationship with my husband. A United Methodist Church bishop told a news outlet this, quote, I am unceasingly in prayer for the whole United Methodist Church, the West Ohio Conference, and the parties most deeply involved in this process. There are continuing efforts to reach a just resolution. So again, on one side of the spectrum, we have 
the first openly gay judge appointed in New York. And on the other side, we have a pastor who is living his life openly and doing his job and bringing people into the church, but certainly, certainly getting criticized for it. More just horrible, horrible news. I almost hesitate to say this, but we need to know that things like this still happen. A man who was accused of torturing his girlfriend's eight-year-old son to death killed him because he thought the child was gay. This is according to a court out there in Los Angeles. The prosecutor has said that Isaro Aguirre made Gabriel Fernandez wear stereotypically female clothes to school before murdering him with torture methods. Los Angeles County Fire Department paramedic James Cermak testified that there was an unbelievable amount of trauma on Gabriel's body. He found the child in cardiac arrest. And the theory out there right now, and this is according to the court system, was that this young boy was murdered. He was absolutely murdered because the father thought that he was gay. Unbelievable. You know, you think, well, where does this come from? Who is role modeling this? And don't think that I am not aware of the irony transitioning into this next story. The White House denies claims that President Trump joked about Mike Pence wanting to hang all gay people. The White House has hit back at allegations that President Trump joked about Mike Pence wanting to hang gay people. Officials have dismissed the reports, claiming they are unsubstantiated. According to an article in New Yorker this week, the comments were made in a meeting between Trump, Pence, and a legal scholar. Pence, Vice President Pence, who is a hardline evangelical who has not supported a single LGBTQ reform across nearly two decades in politics, has one of the worst records on equality of any president or vice president in living memory. However, a representative for the vice president, Alyssa Farah, disputed the claims in an interview with the Indianapolis Star. She said the claims are, quote, filled with unsubstantiated, unsourced claims that are untrue and offensive. In the meeting between President Trump, the vice president, and a legal scholar, the New Yorker reported that the conversation turned to LGBT rights. And President Trump reportedly said this, quote, don't ask that guy, you know, and he gestured to Pence, he wants to hang them all. So yeah, where's this role modeling coming from? Apparently, additionally, in the White House. It's one of the places where these comments are being made. How about some good news? We could use some good news. California has now legally recognized non-binary people on official documents for the very first time. This past May, the state Senate passed a bill which allowed people to choose a third gender on official forms like driver's licenses and birth certificates. The bill was signed into law this past week by Governor Jerry Brown, which now makes it official. The law, which means that in addition to F and M, Californians will now be able to choose X. It is set to come into effect in 2019. Until this law was passed, Californians wanting to change their gender on government documents had to submit a physician's sworn statement that they had undertaken medical treatment. The Gender Recognition Act now allows people to choose, well, now, I mean, in 2019, but in 2019, it will allow people to choose their identified gender without having to prove it physically. And the options will include a third choice reading non-binary. Democratic State Senator Scott Weiner, who co-authored the bill, welcomed its passage into law while taking aim at the President Trump administration. He said this quote, this is Democratic State Senator Scott Weiner, said this quote, With the passage of Senate Bill 179, California continues its fight for a more inclusive society, even as some in Washington continue to try to take away rights from LGBT people.
The other co-author of this bill, State Senator Tony Atkins, said the law would give a precious freedom to its recipients. State Senator Atkins said this, quote, With Governor Brown's signature on this bill, transgender and non-binary people will now be able to identify themselves as they are, not as who society tells them they should be. Very exciting news. So in 2019, Californians will be able to choose a non-binary option there on official documents in the state of California. That is some good news. Let's do a weekly update on Senate candidate Roy Moore. I referenced him earlier. I said we would return to him again just to catch you up in case you're not totally in the know about what we're talking about here. When Attorney General Jeff Sessions became the Attorney General, he left a Senate seat open in the great state of Alabama. There was a runoff election to see who would be the GOP nominee for this Senate position there in the great state of Alabama. President Trump endorsed one guy. Well, he was not the guy who won. The guy who won the nomination for the GOP slot for the Senate there in Alabama was Senate candidate Roy Moore, formerly the Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court, who was twice removed for his ridiculous actions. An investigation now has shown that anti-gay Senate candidate Roy Moore has secretly been in receipt of a six-figure salary from the charity that he founded. Moore, who believes that homosexuality should be illegal and had a really hard time answering the question whether or not gay people should be put to death, he said, I'm not sure, he has allegedly been drawing a salary from the Foundation for Moral Law, an Alabama-based nonprofit that he founded in 2002. Internal charity records obtained by the Washington Post detail over $1 million in wages paid to Moore between 2007 and 2012, all despite Roy Moore publicly stating that he did not receive a regular salary from the organization. His contract with the foundation was peculiar in that Roy Moore would be paid any speaking fees and donations he was responsible for, with the charity contributing directly if these fees totaled less than $180,000 per year. Let me just tell you about the Foundation for Moral Law. They aim to, quote, restore the knowledge of God in law and government. They are also said to have financially supported Roy Moore after his first removal from the state Supreme Court. I love that there is the phrase, his first removal from the state Supreme Court, because yes, he was removed twice. The first time was because he refused to remove a statue of the Ten Commandments from the state courthouse The second time, it was because the Supreme Court said marriage equality is the law of the land, and Roy Moore, the Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court, said, "Mm, but does that really apply here in Alabama? We're going to say that it doesn't, so judges don't conform with the Supreme Court order, so he was removed a second time. Now, one would think you've been removed twice from Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court. Certainly, sir, you have no future. But no, there in the great state of Alabama, not only does he have a future, but he likely, in just a few short months, really just in a few short weeks, he will be one of the 100 senators right here in the United States of America. He will be one of the 100. He likely will win. And he is arguably the most anti-gay politician in recent memory. Truly. Unbelievable. So that is our weekly update there from the great state of Alabama. A nine-year-old girl in Indiana was left heartbroken after being banned from her first communion. A nine-year-old girl was banned from her first communion. Why? Why was she banned? 
Of course, because she was wearing a pantsuit. I kid you not. Banned from her first communion in Indiana because she wanted to wear a pantsuit. Katie Mansell had planned to take her first communion along with her friends and classmates at St. John the Evangelist Parish, but was told she wouldn't be allowed to wear her dream outfit, a white pantsuit. Her mother, Chris, posted a heartfelt message in a Facebook group entitled Pantsuit Nation, which many of us are members of, with the post gaining over 20,000 comments. Chris wrote this. The mother wrote this, quote, Katie has a love for suits and wears them often. Since there wasn't initially a dress code given for the event, we assumed she could wear a suit. We went all out and made a weekend out of finding her the perfect outfit, one that makes her feel beautiful and confident. The all-white suit had been specially purchased and tailored to fit Katie for her first communion, requiring expensive alterations. However, after the school learned of her outfit choice, a dress code was then sent to parents a week before the ceremony. This new dress code specifically said that girls must wear dresses for communion, because apparently Jesus said that. No, I mean, that's not actually true. I'm a gay Jew from New York City. I know that Jesus didn't say that. Chris Mansell, the mother in this case, was a teacher's aide at the school and was asked to attend a private meeting with the principal. In this meeting, Chris was told that Katie, her daughter, could wear the suit, but could only if she had her communion alone after the main ceremony. Speaking to Yahoo, the mother, Chris, said this, quote, I thought even more than that, that's ridiculous. Why would I be ashamed of my daughter? That's really the message they are conveying. The day after this meeting, Katie, the daughter, attended a practice communion ceremony with her father, where he was told by the pastor, quote, you are raising your daughter wrong. You're doing her a disservice by not making her wear the dress. In response to this, the family has moved schools and churches, moving the family to a more open-minded school where Katie is allowed to express herself. The mother, Chris, said this, quote, we lost our school and my job and all of our friends, but one who stood by us. It turned into a scandal. However, since Chris's initial post, the family has been overwhelmed with support. Chris, the mother, said this, quote, First of all, Katie is jazzed to be internet famous, if even for one day. I read her a few beautiful messages from people all over the country, and she is floored that strangers would be so interested in her journey and love her so much. So it is a happy ending, but unbelievable that the daughter wanted to wear a pantsuit, and the end of this story was that they had to move schools and move churches. We don't really have a lot of time left. I will just say there is a story out there about how Caitlyn Jenner has finally, finally given up on Donald Trump, but that's kind of a big fat whatever to me. So we will just say, get out there and use your voice the way you know how to use it. I've been hosting this show for 10 years. This is what I know how to do. And I wrote a book and you guys should go to Amazon and you should pick it up because that would be awesome. It's super on sale right now and you can get it pretty darn cheap. It's called Seriously, What Am I Doing Here? The Adventures of a Wandering and wandering gay Jew, go pick it up and, you know, figure out what it is that you need to do to use your voice to make a difference for your LGBTQ brothers and sisters, for all of our allies out there. Put on your cape, get out there, make a difference. And while you're out there, please remember, why be gay when you can be so gay?